Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers and I'll be preaching out of the book of Revelation today. And my context is Revelation chapter 16 and I'm going to try to make it to verse through verse 4. Uh, don't know that I'll go there or be able to get there. I would like to go through verse 7. So I want to read for you, if I may, if you have a copy of God's Word and would like to follow along, I'll read the text that we're in so that you can uh, begin to see where we're headed today. I've entitled this message, God is Doing What is Right. God is Doing What is Right. And it's found in Revelation 16, 1 through 7. The Word of God reads in verse 1 in chapter 16, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you, who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Well, I don't think it takes very long to read into this chapter and see just how uh, a terrible time that is coming upon the earth. And I think the reason I want to title this today, God is doing what is right, because I think that when people read this and study this, and I have personally read it out of many commentaries, that the natural response is how could a God who is so just or so compassionate and so loving do this to people upon the earth? Well, I think you're, we're going to address some of that today and I think you're going to see as we look at these seven bowls of wrath, these are the last judgments. And to be honest, some portions of God's Word, uh, are, are, are uh, you preach with joy and exhilaration, and there's a, a real thrill and excitement to it. But when you come to something like this, this kind of a passage of Scripture, and many of the verses in the book of Revelation, it just, it just seems to be... Uh, uh, very difficult to do this. And so you, I know I've had people say, well, if, you, if it's so hard to preach, then why do you preach it? Well, the, the, the Bible is a book of hope, and it is a book of judgment. In fact, it's full of judgment. It's just full of it. And even our Lord Jesus Christ was a judgment preacher. And uh, if I'm going to cover the Word of God, if I'm going to preach from the full counsel of the Word of God, I must cover these things. And so you can't just reject them. And I believe me, I've served under enough pastors that totally skip the book of Revelation that I know con, uh, confuses many people as well as confuses me. But our Lord Jesus Christ was a judgment preacher. He said more about hell than anybody else. God has been pronouncing judgment on his people for a long time. And those who are his by virtue of creation who live in the world and reject him. It's not just in the Old Testament, which I've heard people tell me that the God of the Old Testament is a, is a judgment kind of a God. The God of a New Testament is a God of love. People say things like that without really understanding that the Old Testament was written by a God of judgment. The New Testament was written by a God of grace. Well, that's, that's what they say. But really, it's the same God. 
Some would tell us there's two different authors. Not so. This is, uh, this is equal, fiery, furious judgment in the New Testament right from the lips of Jesus himself. And sure, we see it in the Old Testament, but don't forget, it's in the New Testament with, with all the writers talk of it. The, uh, Jesus himself being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He wrote about this. He talked about the, the judgment that is to come and the, the, the second coming. He speaks of that. Uh, Paul speaks of this, wrote about Jesus Christ and the Lord being revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in Second Thessalonians. I could cover dozens and dozens of verses of Scripture today, as well as Peter, as well as uh, John and the, uh, what he had to say. So it is a book of judgment. It is a book that is difficult to preach. So I want to begin by just giving you some general observations on Revelation chapter 16 because of not just the intensity of this chapter, but because of the, uh, the, the harshness of the judgment of this coming to, to the earth, coming to people. And it's very clearly laid out who this is coming to and what is going to be the, uh, the real uh, impact of this judgment. So just a general, few general observations. Uh, we're in the book of Revelation. This is chapter 16. It's the last judgment here. Sin and unrighteousness and blasphemy, rejection will be swept finally away from the earth. So the first general observation is just a big picture look at this. Chapter 16 gives us the picture of the final destruction uh, from God's wrath at the close of time known as the tribulation, the seven-year period. The latter part of that, which is the last three and a half years, will be known as the great tribulation. And what happens in chapter 16 immediately precedes the return of Christ. So, with that in mind, the second general observation is it does go just before the return of Christ. You say, well, wait a minute. Uh, this is only chapter 16, and we know that Christ doesn't come back until chapter 19. Well, that's true, but, seven, but seven, chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation uh, go back over the tribulation from another viewpoint. We'll see that as we get into that. So, in other words, it's not totally uh, chronological, but it is chronological in nature. Uh, it does have a chronological flow, but it also has backtracks. And we've seen that already as we looked at chapter 12 and 13, and we're going to see it again in chapter 17 and 18. But chapter 16 really happens immediately prior to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is followed by his breaking open heaven and descending to earth and uh, and then going through all that is there. We'll see that at a later time. So the third general observation is the nature of these judgments that precede immediately the return of Christ are very, very severe. They are very severe judgments, and they are as good an indication anywhere in the Bible as how God feels about sin and rejection. Again, these are just broad stroke, brush strokes, if you will, of, of general observations that we it would be good to keep these in mind. We want to talk about a God of grace and goodness and mercy and love, but here we're going to see the holiest, the most extensive final wrath of God against sin, which will show us as clearly, as more clear than anywhere else, how he feels about it. And believe me, it is a, a very fitting chapter for this. And so we look at the earth during that time, and particularly the time in human history, men will be 
at their epitome of the worship of Satan, it will be like never before. They will be at the epitome of their total, absolute rebellion against God. They will be blaspheming, and so they are at the apex, as one writer puts it, of their sin, and God is at the apex of his wrath. And I think we can just about feel this as we go through. The fourth general observation is we come to the chapter very much aware of the fact that through this seven-year period, there is a mounting and escalating worldwide rebellion, uh, very similar to the third observation. The gospel is being preached throughout the world at this time. Many people are being converted. That's is We can't overlook that because of all the judgment. We still do see God's grace reaching through the sins of the people and the sins of the time and the culture and the evil, and people are being saved. People are being converted to Christ from every tongue, tribe, and people and nation. The nation of Israel is being redeemed. The greatest revival in all of human history is taking place. So we can't forget that fact. I think the fifth observation would be, looking at verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, "'Go and pour out your seven bowls of wrath of God onto the earth.'" This is it. If God sets a boundary to the restless sea, so he has set a boundary to evil men and nations. God, or chapter 15, remember, was a preview sort of, of of a preparation. In chapter 15, the temple of God was always, which always meant mercy and forgiveness and sacrifice and atonement, is now shut. And it has become a, a house of raging indignation, vengeance and judgment and fire and smoke come out of it, engulfing the temple until the seven last plagues have been poured out on the earth. That's just a general look at, at uh, I guess, of, of what happens in 15 and how we're being introduced to this in 16. Now, I want to give you just a, just a little bit of an overview uh, of this. The, the, the plagues compared to that we see here are very much compared to Exodus chapter 7, verse 12. The plagues which God brought upon the wicked in Egypt where they had kept his people captive and liberating his people, he brought, as you know, the plagues that were the judgments upon the Egyptians. And then the second set of plagues that we have seen similar to are the seven bowls, which are the which would be the seven trumpets, which are recorded in Revelation chapter 8. And so we, we begin to see there's a, a pattern here and there's a look here. But in noticing that there's basically three sets of plagues, starting back in Exodus and then coming through the trumpets in Revelation 8 to 11, and now coming here to the, the seven bowls of trumpets, or seven bowls of wrath. Some of the plagues were local. It happened in one country, one uh, with the country of Egypt. The second set of plagues, the trumpets extended beyond any one nation and covered approximately one-third of the world. As you remember, we looked at that. We called it the one-third judgments. And in Revelation chapter 8 and following, we noticed that the plagues that were coming at the blowing of the seventh trumpet touched one-third of the world. And then in chapter 16, we see in this chapter, it's not limited to a nation or, or a fraction of humanity. It covers the whole globe. So when we read this judgments, the seven bowls of wrath going out in chapter 16, and we won't see them all today, we are going to be realizing that it does cover the whole globe. The whole world is involved in this. Also, the plagues in Egypt involved water uh, turned into blood, frogs, lice, flies, disease among the cattle, boils, thunder, hail, locusts, darkness, and the slaughter of the firstborn. You remember those. Well, the seven trumpets involve hail, fire, blood, destroying a third of the trees, green grass, hail, fire, blood, I should say, uh, destroying a third of the, the trees and, and then all that 
basically the same way of saying it. The trumpets also involve a flaming mountain cast into a sea, destroying a third of the sea, turning it into a blood-like substance. They involve the fall of a star wormwood. We, you remember we went through all of that. And then the smiting of the third of the sun, the moon, and then demons overrunning the world in, in all of their fury. Then loosing of the four angels at the Euphrates and coming up the great demonic army from the east. That was the seventh trumpet blown. Now, when we come to these last seven plagues, which are the seven bowls, they involve ulcerated sores of men, all the sea turned to blood, all the rivers and waters turned to blood, the sun becoming scorching hot, the whole world becomes dark, the Euphrates River dries up, and the pollution of the air and the accompanying terrors in nature happen. The thunder and the greatest earthquake in the history of the world, which we'll see at the last part of this chapter, uh, along with lightning and hail. Now you can see there are some common threads that run through all of this, these judgments, these three different sets of judgments in the Bible. All three have hail, darkness, blood, hordes, whether they be insects or demons. But in Revelation, there's a very important difference that we begin to notice in pointing this out. It's the difference in what is partial and what is total. What you have here in chapter 16 is the gathering of all the horrors and all the terrors that were most severe from all of the history of the judgments of God in the past plagues. Only now, not partial, but now completely inundating the entire world. And that, I think that's what gets me as I look at this. I begin to realize, man, I'm talking about every single part of the country. Every single part of the, of, the, of the globe, every single part of every nation is going to involve all the people will know what's going on. All of the people will be involved, not necessarily partaking of the judgment, but believers were not going to be involved in this judgment, but they're going to be around people who are being judged. And so it is an amazing, amazing time. So preparation was made for this in chapter 15, and now judgment comes in chapter 16. So God has demonstrated love. God has demonstrated grace. In mercy, he has sent his son to die. He has raised up preachers to preach throughout all the years. And in the seven-year period, he will raise up some invincible preachers to preach. And he has given to us throughout history and will then, given to us his word, he has he, he had pleaded with men to come in repentance and faith in Jesus. He has given them taste of judgment. And still, can you believe people would still say no to the gospel? Well, we're going to talk about that as we get later in, into the, the book of Revelation. So the final judgment comes, and we are here looking at this. So I want to begin with uh, verse 1. Again, go back to verse 1 of Revelation chapter 16. Remember, I'm, I'm talking kind of fast because I want to get through as much of this as I can. And we're only going to get one or two of these bold judgments, and, but that will be good. So I heard with a loud voice in the temple saying to the seven angels, this loud or, or, or actually some translations say great voice occurs 20 times or so in the book of Revelation. There are some great things in this book, some great things happening. The great voice is, I want you to understand this, it is the voice of God. It was the voice of the Lord. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 10, it was the voice of the Lord again in the middle, coming out of chapter 8, verse 15, uh, verse 17, in chapter 16. 
It's the voice of the Lord here in, in, 15, in chapter 15, and then it's the voice here in chapter 16, verse 1. Look at it again, how it reads this in chapter 1. I mean, in chapter 16, verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels. This is the same temple referred to in chapter 15. And we can begin to understand this loud voice is the voice of God himself. The great voice surely is God. It was the voice of God. And then in chapter 1, like I said, you see this all the way through. You see this. And so we we know that it's probably the same thing Isaiah 66 six says. Isaiah 66, verse 6 says this. A voice of uproar, a voice from the temple, the voice of the Lord who is rendering recompense to his enemies. Here is that voice coming from the throne, the holy place, the temple where God dwells. Here comes the last activity on the earth as it now exists, the seven Sealed scroll has fully been unrolled, as we saw that was being prepared in chapter 5 of Revelation. And now the seventh trumpet is blown. The final judgments are about to fall. Remember now, I said the last time in chapter 15, we're seeing action in heaven. We're seeing activity or preparation in heaven for about for what is about to happen to the earth when chapter 16 gets here. Well, we're in 16, and boy, it's almost like you want to say, buckle your seatbelts, because it's hard to read. I can't imagine living through this, and you're going to see why in just a minute. Now, I want to just say this in the reading commentaries and books that are written on these plagues. I always kind of amazed how people will struggle to explain these in some natural way. Well, you don't need to do that. You don't need to try to explain this in some natural phenomenon uh, where the man firing a, a missiles or, or the uh, uh, nuclear war or, or anything like that. You don't have to do that. There's really no natural explanation for these. No natural explanation even needs to be sought. Uh, no scientific explanation of this. We just have to accept this as this is the Word of God. It is supernatural. And God, who has spoken in mercy for so long, has now reached the end of his mercy, and his furies come rapidly. There won't even be time for scientific, natural unfolding of these events. They're just too fast. You get the, the feeling when you're reading these bowls, it's just rapid fire. It's like that people on earth won't even have, be able to take a breath before they're coming. So the first bowl begins, and we see it in verse 2. Of chapter 16. Look at what verse 2 says. The first angel, and this is the same angels referred to in chapter 15, verses 6 and 7. Look at verse 7 of 15. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God. So now that with those seven standing there, the first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore. And this is what we see here. The first angel, uh, notice it is, is really, if you can see this with your text, is really in italics. It's really the first went, and we're referencing the, the angel. In fact, I'm, I'm really glad they put the word angel there. Poured out his bowl. Remember I told you these were flat, like, uh, I guess like I, every writer so far has said saucer, and I guess there's no other real word for it. But they're like a saucer, and you turn it, and it just dumps whatever's in the saucer all at one time. It doesn't just come out slowly. 
And that's the essence of these kinds of judgment. They just hit all at once. The first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth in instant action at the command of this. The first angel does what he's told to do, and it becomes a sore upon men who had... Listen to who who it's going to affect. Men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now... Look at what they, what happens to them. I'll come back to that in just a second. The word sore is really a word for ulcer. It's probably uh, where the word ulcer comes from. It's a, a running sore, a cancer, anything like that. It's called loathsome, foul, bad, or malignant. There's all kinds of words. If you take a Greek lexicon and look at the words, it can mean wretched or growing or incurable. The same term, by the way, is used uh, for several places of the Bible. Exodus chapter 9 to describe the boils there. Some uh, some call it oozing sores all over the body. It's also the same word used in Luke uh, 16.21 to describe the sores of the body of the beggar by the name of Lazarus. Uh, and so it really is it's symbolic of the fact that it is a very unbelievable pain. It's, I mean, it's meant to give us that picture. Unbelievable pain in the physical body as they hit with these, as they're hit with these sores. And so now, look at who it's for. Look at who are the recipients of the first bowl. Now remember now, I want to read to you in Revelation chapter 13 about the worship of the Antichrist and his image. Now, I want you to see Revelation chapter 13 in verse 7, and it was given to him, uh, the, 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 the beast out of the sea, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them and authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation was given to him. And then listen to verse 8 of Revelation 13. It's very important to understand this one. Verse 8 of Revelation 13 says this, And all who dwell on the earth, everybody who dwells on the earth, will worship the beast. Everyone. And then he's going to qualify that because it doesn't mean, everyone here doesn't mean everyone. It means everyone with a qualifier to it. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. That tells you who it's going to be. In other words, no believers here. There will be no believers here affected by this judgment. It will be upon the men... And the word men there is generic for men and women who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Now, who is that? Well, we're answering that. It's a lot of people. It's every unbeliever. It doesn't say every of certain kinds of religion. It doesn't say all Baptists are going to uh, be exempt from this. It says all who do not have their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Well, that can be people from every religion whether it be Muslims, Buddhists, whether it be Catholics, Mormons, Baptists, it can be from all over. Religion is not the one that separates here. It's the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him for salvation. That's the one. It's the real believers in Christ that will not be here. In other words, those who have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. They are the Gentiles who have not been executed are the believers, that's the believers, who have not been executed, can be Gentiles. Uh, it, it is those who have escaped the uh, 
the 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 fury of the Antichrist and the false prophet. But it's going to come to everyone who has the mark of the beast. You see, they must be qualified. They must be certified as people of the beast or people of the Antichrist. So they that worship the image of the beast that the false prophet developed, well, there will be others who won't take the mark. These are the ones whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I tell you, I, I just can't say it enough, ladies and gentlemen. It is so fascinating to do a study on what this means when it says that the lambs, they were, listen to how it phrases it, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb. That means that before Genesis 1-1, if you're a believer today, your name was already written in the Lamb's book of life as one who would be believe, who would believe and be a believer. That's amazing. Now, how did it get there? Why was it put there? That would be something to check out. We're going to look at that again a little later in Revelation. I'm just trying to bite my time and, and hold it until we, we get to that point. So, these believers will reject the mark of the beast, and it's going to prove to be the only ones that can do that, that will have the power or the boldness to do that, are going to be believers. Those who take it, identify their allegiance to the Antichrist, they'll be the ones struck. And I believe the remaining Christians, as indicated, will be exempt. I don't know how to make that any clearer. And so we, we can see this. It's coming. And it's going to be a tremendously terrible time for those people. But look at the second bowl. I want to go ahead and make sure I get into the second bowl. And that's found in chapter 16, verse 3. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea. And it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. The second bowl, they, and remember, this comes with no relief from the first one. So not only are they in sore and pain, all the people of the earth that are do not know Christ, all those who do not have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by the way, I'm sure there are people who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life who are probably not saved at this point. They are yet to be saved in the tribulation period. So, man, what an amazing thing that is to think about that. They're going to be protected, too. So the second bowl comes down. What happens? It becomes blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. This is like the plague that fell on Egypt in chapter 7, verses 20 and 25 of Exodus. This is also like the trumpet plague of Revelation chapter 8. The second angel pours his bowl into the sea, and it becomes like blood, like that of a dead man. Thick, dark, cool, coagulated. It just pictures the sea like the pool of blood that would come from a man who has been stabbed and all his blood lying in a pool beside him. I don't know what that is that the Lord's going to do, but it's awful. It sounds absolutely terrible. So, uh, and I know that people try to explain this away. They try to call it the red tide. Uh, you know, I, I think it's Exactly what it says. It's going to be a judgment of God, and I therefore say it can be whatever God says it's going to be. The third bowl, look at verse 4. Uh, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and springs of waters, and they become blood. 
So they also become blood. Now what happened in Egypt, according to Exodus 7, from 19 through 20, it happens all over the world. It Now it happens all over the world, not just in salt water. Now you say, well, one might be able to survive if all it was affected was the salt water. But immediately on top of all this, the third one pours out his, and guess what? The fresh water is contaminated. Now remember, fresh water by this time is already in short supply. We know that uh, because of other judgments that have happened, the one-third judgment did destroy one-third of the world's fresh waters, and then possibly even the two witnesses that had the power to shut up heaven and cause it to not to rain for a certain period of time, perhaps that is exactly what they did. So the water is already in short supply. Now, another interesting to note that I, do, I, I think is interesting is that uh, even the, the judgments that are, are, are affected through all of this time also will be affecting the weather. And so the weather could be affecting all of this that plays a part that we don't even know. Uh, it could be, and I think I think it's very conceivably seen in the scriptures. There will be a time of unbelievable drought, and then compounding that, you have this, and the fresh water is turned into blood. Needless to say, it's going to be a horrible time on the earth, one that will be unbelievable. So, we've gotten a little bit of the idea not to have water, no water anywhere, no water to wash the oozing sores, no water to quench the thirst. The whole scene is absolutely unthinkable. It's so unthinkable that we just stop and say, wait a minute, how can a God of compassion and a God of mercy and a God of grace do this? It just doesn't seem fair. And so the defense of God, the angel speaks in verse 5. Look at what the angel says, just in case someone is thinking that kind of thought. And I heard the angel of the waters, that's the one who's just laid out his, uh, his judgment, saying, Righteous are you who was and is holy one, because you did judge these things. We cannot question the righteousness, righteousness of God. We cannot question the holiness, the virtue of God. His judgment is right. His judgment is just. Through his wrath, by terrifying and deadly it is, it's deserved. And, and how do I know that? Because look at what it says in, in verse 6. They poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink by fresh water. And then it says they deserve it. People, no doubt, across the world will be cursing and blaspheming God, shaking their fists at him and questioning why he's doing this. Well, the angel is really saying he is righteous, he is just. And what God is doing is what is right. That is what he is saying. And I'm going to have to end it right here. I think that is a good place to end it because it is um, ending with actually the title God is doing what is right, regardless of what it appears on earth, regardless of how bad it seems on earth. We are only seeing the physical evidence of the judgment when we look at the people and the sores and the water being turned to blood, salt and fresh. But when you look at the big picture and you see God, you see that God is doing what is right. The question comes here. With all of the warnings, all of the gospel being preached, are there people still refusing to listen, still refusing the Christ of the New Testament? I challenge you to stay with me, keep praying for this ministry of, of reaching people through the Word of God, and I, I thank you for joining us today. So for now, this is William Rogers, 
uh, Hope for the Heart, and we will be looking at the rest of chapter 16 next time. Thank you so much.